Moms in Baseball. This is episode 78, and I'm Diana. I'm not Stephanie. Uh, <laughs> Trip Grace back to uh, have a chat with you guys on the podcast. Yeah, so Stephanie's taking the week off. She'll be back for our next episode in a couple of weeks. So my husband Trevor is joining us today to talk about a topic that is near and dear to his heart. We're going to be discussing how to be a more effective coach through communication and relationship building. If you're a new listener, Trevor's joined us for several episodes in the past, including for our dad's takeover episodes. Trevor has coached youth in multiple sports at different levels and is also president of the Saginaw Bay Youth Athletic Organization, SBYAO, in Michigan, which is currently comprised of 16 baseball and softball teams, including the Saginaw Bay River Dogs and Michigan Select. He is also co-coaching our 12U Majors River Dogs team, and professionally, Trevor is a licensed psychologist. So Trevor, thanks so much for agreeing to help Stephanie, Stephanie and I out by recording this episode at the last moment. No problem. So let's get started with our topic for today. Um, I've watched you wear many different coaching hats over the past 10 years or so. Uh, you've been head coach, co-coach, manager, assistant coach, and parent volunteer for a number of teams. Um, I've seen you involved in coaching teams that were extremely successful, and then a few less successful ones that have had their share of challenges as well. Could you talk about some of the lessons that you've learned from any of those coaching mishaps or from the less successful teams? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I learned uh, pretty early on is is the impact that you can have on kids. Um, my first real uh, I guess foray into coaching was in travel sports, and um, I went in there as like this uber competitive, you know, gonna you know win everything type of thing, and I was coaching a bunch of six, seven, and eight year old boys and. Um, to this day, I still remember a child crying because of, because of me. And I know that it was me and really asking myself after that, like, is this what you want to do? Is this who you are? I mean, it was just, it's against what I am professionally too. And so um, even at that time, but then since then, I've really, you know, that was seven years ago now, I think, um, really have spent a lot of time kind of introspectively figuring out how to be a better coach and try to spend a decent amount of time doing that. And one of the key factors is, and I know it's really something that everybody's heard before, but is reminding myself to make it fun. Um, if it's not fun for me, it's not going to be fun for them, especially at the younger ages. And, and with my recent step into doing a little bit of high school assistant coaching, it's still the same. I mean, they, they still want it to be fun. And, you know, I'm doing my best to do that while also working on skill development and, you know, preparing a team to, you know, be the best that they can be. One of my favorite things that you do that I was hoping that you would talk about today is for every team that you've been a part of coaching, you always hold a parent meeting and you create this parent letter um, at the beginning of every season. So could you just talk a bit about that and about the meeting and the letter and kind of what the purpose of all of that is? So if we go back to that first team that I was referring to, you know, my first experience, I was um, coaching with my brother-in-law, your brother, and, you know, he was hesitant to do this because um, we were going to be co-coaching. Uh, he was hesitant to do it just because he didn't want to deal with all the administrative rigmarole, I guess you'd say. Um, he wanted to work with the kids. Yeah, I just, I'll just i give a little backstory there. He had just come off uh, finishing coaching, I don't even know, maybe like 10 or so years as a varsity coach. This was his first year off, I guess you could say. So that that was a lot of his hesitation. He had just dealt with all of all of the um, headaches and issues that come along with being that coach. And, and he didn't want to do that again. He just wanted to work with kids. Yeah. And, and I understood that. And, and so, but I knew I needed his help from the baseball side 
because I had, you know, I, I was really new to that. I didn't have any concerns with the other stuff. So uh, we entered into this co-coaching agreement and that was my responsibility. And so I began thinking, okay, how do we avoid some of the pitfalls you hear about travel sports, but also just about sports in general, because one of those major pitfalls you hear about is parents, like the problematic parents, the troublesome parents. And, and, and you know, and that's what I do, right? I work with people. So I, while I, we went out and we had a pretty clear letter and had a parent meeting and, um, and it's kind of evolved since then to being really comprehensive and really detailed. Um, and so now I have a very, uh, now the parent letter that I give is more of a parent contract. I mean, for our organization, it's, it's a handbook and um, it's multiple pages long that every parent and child in our organization needs to fill out so that the board can support them. Um, and that's an offshoot of those letters. But I, I do a similar letter that is basically sounds ridiculous when you hand it out at a, you know, 10 u rec game um, to the parents who are there and they, you know, their kids still can't even throw, but I still give the same letters because it, it's effective in order to make sure everybody knows that we're on the same page. And I learned this back when I was teaching um, some college courses. And if you think of the problems you're going to have ahead of time and address them, you get to pull the letter out and say, see? And so one of those examples was I had, a, I, I did not want to deal with a kid coming up with me at the, coming up to me at the end of the course and saying, um, hey, uh, Ms., uh, Mr. So-and-so, or you know, Mr. Grice, hey, I, I'm failing the course. What can I do to get extra credit? Uh, because I actually had an attendance policy that stated that if you showed up to um, all of the classes or and missed only a couple, I would bump your letter grade just for showing up. And I got to pull that out and say, I'm, you chose to not come to over half the classes. And so I, it sounds to me like you got yourself an E when I, you could have come into the classes would have guaranteed you at least a D minus. End of the story, kind of development and put it into the parent letters to make sure that everybody knew what could happen and what would happen in these situations. And then we've just kind of built upon it ever since. Uh, one of the things I've learned um, about communication is that there's, there's kind of not too much of it. I get made fun of for communicating too much. Um, my emails get, go ahead. Cause I know you have stories about that. Well, I was just going to say, you're definitely accused much more often of over communicating. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody of accusing you of like not communicating enough, but you, you definitely, you know, we all kind of roll our eyes when we get the Trevor email or the Trevor post, because it's usually several pages long. Um, it, it, it's, it's lengthy. You definitely are a communicator. Right. And, 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 but that's on purpose. Because if, if all of the details and all the information is shared, then there's going to be far less miscommunication and mis or confusion that will happen later on down the road. And um, I, I just overall think that's been a really good policy. It's not been perfect. I mean, it still always happens. But when I'm able to pull out that letter a little bit later and show them this is what you agreed to for this year, then it really kind of, I guess, negates their overarching emotional argument about their kid that they may ha maybe have you know, that they did agree to that in this year. Um, and, you know, that, that goes into some other things about uh, parent meetings. So I just, I think it's essential to have a parent meeting in every sport like at the start of every year to go over that letter, uh, just so they can, you can set the tone. I do think you go in there and you set the tone as being, you know, very stern and very direct, um, just so the parents understand that you are, in charge of this team at this particular point, um, but answer the questions and concerns that they have at that moment. Uh, and, you know, I, I actually talked to a couple of parents that we know lately, I thought we've known for a long time because of this. And we were joking about how they were afraid to come anywhere near the dugout 
And so they kept <laughs> a five foot radius of the dugout because I made it very clear that no one will enter my dugout. And they followed that to a T because they didn't want to break the code, so to speak. Um, anyway, it was, um, we laughed about it, but they, they did confirm like, yeah, I, I, I was concerned to just get, be able to hand my kid their Gatorade over the fence or something, you know? Right. Yeah. Like uh, my kid's bleeding. Can I like get him a bandaid or. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I have been guilty of probably, you know, stopping a little bit of things that maybe should have happened, but, um, but it's also in response to the mom who just comes in because her kid got hit by a pitch. You know, I mean, that, that kid needs to learn how to work through that. It was right in the butt, right? I mean, it's not a major thing. He's going to have a bruise. He's going to be okay. More, his pride's hurt more than anything. He needs to work through that. And, you know, mommy coming out and helping him um, because he's got a boo-boo isn't, you know, isn't the right thing at that time, even though we've all been there when our kid is hurt and we want to rush out and comfort him. That's a natural inclination. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're talking a little bit about how like the dugout, I'm assuming this, you know, this is something that's in your letter that you, you, you'd you prefer the parents to stay out of the dugout during the game. Like, can you go through some of the things that you include in your parent letter or that you go over in your meeting, like a few specifics? Um, yeah, I will. Uh, um, but I, I just had an idea, something that kind of fits more with the parent meeting stuff, too, because one of the things I begin adding at a little bit later date is in-season parent meetings. So um, okay. right now we're having, we're, we, we want to have a preseason meeting. We've just had all of our off-season training and we want to have a preseason meeting with our parents to let them know what we see their kids doing in this upcoming year and to let them know what to expect going into this year because we're going to start playing in two weeks. And then we also have a meeting at the end of the year to let them know because in the travel world, individuals have to make decisions and they we want to let them know where they stand. And so we can encourage them that, you know, hey, there might be a spot on the team for you, or there probably won't be, or your your child probably won't be considered for that position they want, so that they can look to go elsewhere if that's what they would desire, um, rather than be surprised by finding out, oh, oh my goodness, my kid didn't make the team, and now all the tryouts are over. So um, we we basically call that an exit interview. And so right. um, last year, we did essentially three parent meetings. We did the beginning of the year meeting, the preseason meeting, and then the exit interview. Yeah. And the exit interview is something I know a lot of parents appreciate because that's not you hear about a lot of teams having parent meetings at the beginning of the year, but not too many people um, take the time and energy to do those exit interview type meetings at the end of the season. Like you said, to just kind of let people know where they stand. I know at least this past year, the kids were involved in those. So the kids knew, you know, like basically what you guys saw as their strengths on this team and and what were some areas that they could improve on you know, for the following year and things like that. Yeah. And off season training recommendations, like, um, you know, Hey, if we could get a little bit faster, uh, work on you know quickness or arm strength or something, you know what I mean? Something small for the kids. Um, but then, you know, the parents are the ones that make the big decisions. And so they need, you know, I mean, if you've ever been there, you want to know, like, do I need to go to a different tryout too? Do I need to give my kid options if he wants to play baseball next year? And it's a, they're not always easy discussions to have, but man, are they, do people, you're right. Parents have come up and said, thank you so much for that. It's not in the moment always. They're not always happy in the moment, but later they understand that when maybe their friend or their, um, or, or somebody else they know is sitting there without a team in December and hoping, you know, and hoping and praying for something to open up. You know what I mean? Like it's not a position you want to be in. So, right. um, and I've never thought about it from this standpoint, but I would imagine that it could be, a, it could be valuable to like you and, the coaching staff as well, because you might get information, like you might get feedback that's valuable to you 
um, because I know you open up to criticism essentially from parents or feedback about, you know, what they saw. And not only that, but you might be able to take the temperature a bit as to like, do you and your child plan on coming back the following year, you know, or, or are we going to be in a situation where we're not going to have a catcher or whatever? Yeah. And I think at every level, that information is incredibly valuable, especially if you're counting on someone being there and then all of a sudden they're not at your tryout and you're scrambling. You need, are they sick? Are they injured? Did they get in a crash on the way to the tryout? Or do I actually need to consider another child? Um, a lot of times we can have those conversations ahead of time and know where people stand and reach kind of a, an understanding. Um, I know I kind of said the same word twice there, but to reach an understanding of how we're going to you know, move forward from here based upon you know, what I want versus what they want versus what's best for the team, et cetera. So, um, yeah. Um, I guess I'll go back to my, my kind of previous question when I jumped ahead too quickly about the parent letter. I, I know no matter what team you've coached, there's certain policies. Like, for example, you don't like parents in the dugout. Could you give a few other examples or just things that you like to include? Well, I know we talked about that, but I think it, I think I actually want to spend a little time on it because <laughs> sure. of how important that is. Um, it, it, it helps to foster the coach-player relationship and separate the parent-child relationship for those brief moments and and helps kind of allow that child to listen to the coach with what's going on in the game. Um, because we also have the policy about, you know, not coaching your child from the stands. And I don't think parents really realize how detrimental that is to the confusion level of kids, especially at the younger level. If you're yelling something and your coach is yelling something different and you have two authority figures yelling at you, one that you love dearly and one that you respect, who do you listen to? Like it is incredibly confusing to young kids. And so getting parents to kind of realize that and have that separation is, I think, essential to development. Um, and, you know, sharing that, we've had parents say, okay, I understand, I'm going to go out to the outfield. And we say, that's probably a good idea, you know, so um, because some of us have a hard time not talking and that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, we have to know what our limits are and kind of work into that so that we can be proactive as a team, right? Parent, coach, and child. And so, that starts with the dugout um, and letting the dugout be a sacred place where their kid can be that baseball player or, you know, I, I know we're focusing on that, but it goes for a lot of other things too. You know, like, you know, stop coming down, you know, a lot of times at like junior high base basketball games, the parents can actually come down and talk to their child real quick. You don't see it often there, but um, you know, let's respect that you can talk to them afterwards. So um, that starts with the dugout. I mean, other things I mean, like I already slid into the whole idea about not coaching from the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, your bleacher co- and, bleacher coaches yeah the bleacher coaches and and you know some parents might be out there saying well maybe my coach did get it wrong they might but you have the you know you have 22 hours until the next game to actually talk to your child about how to maybe do it differently like in that moment let's actually you know err on the side of reducing confusion let the coach do that thing and then you can have the conversation with your child later hopefully after the car ride right uh, going back a couple episodes when you're talking about the car ride home right um most kids don't want it right then and there, but, um, or, or at the same point, follow up with the coach. Now, now there's another aspect of our letter. So that follow up with the coach, we have a pretty hard and fast 24 hour rule. And we put that into place so that, so cooler heads can prevail. Right. Um, I'm not always feeling the greatest after a loss. Um, sometimes I'm a little jazzed up after a win. And so having a conversation at that point is really the wrong time, especially if someone's been stewing on something for the past 90 minutes. So, uh, it's really best for everybody to just chill out and um, talk about it in 24 hours. 
And one thing that I make sure I tell my parents when doing that is you do not send a warning text that says we're going to talk in 24 hours. <laughs> that is unfair. Um, if that happens, it's a conversation right now because it's threatening. Right. And so you, you wait for 24 hours and then you say, do we have a chance to talk? And let's talk like adults. And um, we've learned those lessons throughout the, throughout the years. And um, one interesting story that I don't think these individuals will mind me telling is that we, we got that warning text that says we're going to talk in 24 hours. And then I reached out to them in 24 hours and said, okay, let's set up a time. We're going to meet you face to face. And these people live two hours away from us. They say, oh, no, no, we don't need to have that happen. No, we do. You set the tone. We're going to have a face-to-face discussion. And, and it took us two, out, two weeks to schedule it, which at that time, it was no, really no longer an issue. But we made sure to follow through with the you know, severity of instance, that, which was afforded us uh, you know, 30 minutes after the game when it says, we're going to have a talk. And so we made it a serious talk and we had serious discussion and, and, you know, they maybe heard some things they didn't want to hear at that time, but, you know, we shook hands, we were good. And the rest of the season was just fine. Um, you know, I don't, you know, it's in the, in the forms of uh, area on the side of too much communication, sweeping something under the rug just means it's going to come out later. Mm-hmm. And so it's best to, you know, approach it right away. Um, and so in my parent letter, I usually talk about having that open line of communication. I want to hear your suggestions. I want to actually, I want to hear your concerns and possible suggestions. Um, I, I tell my parents that nine times out of 10, if you have a concern or you're upset about something, there's a very good reason for it. And one of the factors that I need to remind them is you're not in the dugout, right? So I've had parents come up, up and call me and say, why didn't my kid play that game? I said, did you ask your child? And they said, no. I said, he told me his arm hurt and he didn't want to play. Oh, okay. So this parent just spent 24 hours being upset that their child didn't play in a game and never asked their kid why. And that's usually the best place to go. If somebody's not playing for me, it's usually a behavioral issue or um, a physical issue, right? Yeah. And I'm just going to touch on that because um, I saw an issue myself about uh, that didn't involve you, but it was a it was a family member who was extremely upset in a right game about their child not playing or not playing enough. And I'm positive there was a 24-hour rule that had been um, set in place for parents, but that was not followed. And the coach was being kind of like verbally attacked after the game. And it was going on and on and on. And then finally, um, the coach said like, well, do you know, do you know why the child didn't play or why that child sat more innings than everybody else? And they were like, no, that's what I'm so upset about, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he was kind of like, well, do you want to know? And they were like, yeah. And he's like, well, you know, there was this behavior issue. It happened. I asked them to stop. An inning or so later, the child was right back at it, doing it again. And it was just like inappropriate behavior. And the family member was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> like, I, you shouldn't have let him play if he was doing that, you know? And then that was the end of it. If you, first of all, they should have followed the 24-hour rule and kind of like let things calm down. But they could have just asked the child, you know, like, was there a reason why, you know, you, you sat when you sat? And, you know, the child probably would have told them. And that could have just avoided that whole entire conference, confrontation in the first place. Yeah. And the thing is, is like... You know, we do live in a culture right now, uh, we call it the cancel culture for a reason, where our little princes and princesses don't do anything wrong, and that's what we're led to believe, and that it's always some adult's fault, right? And I understand that at different times, you know, that's, that's been the opposite, like, you know, when, you know, a couple decades ago, et cetera. But what we first have to get to the point of is, I don't have all the information. That's what a parent needs to ask them first. I need to get the information. We're going to react and. You know, even even from my psychologist standpoint, like emotions cause us to react, but information causes us to make choices. And so we have to get that information. And since COVID, one of the things that's really happened is parents don't observe practices anymore. 
but I've never been that, I've never had a hard problem with parents observing practices, but they get to see sometimes whether a kid's goofing off or not. And if you do, and, you, and that happens, then they get to correct that at home as I correct it on the field. But since parents haven't been observing practices, they don't know what happens in the dugout, all of this, there's a lot of information they don't have, such as injury complaints, behavior issues, mistreating one of their teammates, a lot of these things that generally is what costs uh, playing time. Right. You know, um, why'd you pull my kid out? Because he asked me to. Well, <laughs> yeah. you, have, you know, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things there. And I'm, and, and it sounds like I'm being a little directive towards parents as a coach, but keep in mind, guys, like I'm a parent too, and I've had these same issues and I've learned the information and then swallowed my tongue and realized, oh, I didn't know that. You know, I mean, I've been there, done that. When we're parents, we're emotional and we need that information in order to make the better choices. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, something else, you, you kind of brushed over it there, but you talked about how when a parent did have a concern, um, you scheduled a face-to-face meeting. Um, I know if you want to talk about that just briefly, I know that's something that's always in your letters, like um, communicating via text versus over the phone or face-to-face. Yeah. So I make it very clear to my parents that I will only ask answer texts that ask a question like, when is practice? What color jersey are we wearing? Things of that nature. If it's anything else, like what did my kid do? That's a conversation that has to be done at least over the phone. And if it's something more intense than the phone, like there's a very big concern that that parent is having, we will have a face-to-face conversation. And the reason is, is that we can make sure that we get all of the information out on the table, as well as reduce this whole idea of anonymity. Like um, we have a lot of keyboard warriors in our in our world right now that like to just type away and say whatever they want. And then the next time you see them, they're smiling and say, hey, we're good now. In fact, what they typed was incredibly hurtful. So, you know, I I want to get this conversation. If we're going to reach a resolution, it's got to be face-to-face. I always always say that I can meet them halfway. I'll drive to their house. And uh, Diana knows that I've lived two and a half hours away from some of my kids. But I would make that happen if it was that big of a deal in in order to avoid the conflict that we could have by a lack of communication or a miscommunication. And going back to that situation, it's happened once, you know, and... You know, I drove over an hour to meet this family, and it was a good thing to have done. It really was. Things can also be misunderstood through text. If you're if you're at least having that conversation over the phone, um, I just feel like it's so much easier to have like a clear conversation where everybody is on the same page or at least understoods. Excuse me, understoods understands the intention behind the words, and a lot of that can completely get lost in text. Yeah, and and that's why limit, I, I say very clearly in the letter, you know, simple requests, where is the field at? Um, what time do we have to be there? Like, that's the stuff that happens in text messages, right? Anything more than that needs to really be a conversation. And um, I think that's where a lot of coaches go wrong, um, is not valuing the or demanding the level of communication that needs to happen, like the face-to-face. I, not everybody's confrontational. I get that. I, I, I for the most part, I'm somewhat non-confrontational as well. Um, in certain areas. Uh, and that's where my co-coach came in a couple times and, you know, but, but overall guy, overall, the fact is, is that the communication is key in building and kind of maintaining those relationships that you have with the families that you're coach in order to get their respect so that those parents will have your respect, talk with you in a respectful way, and then help facilitate the respect with your players. Right. So you just mentioned, you know, your co-coach. And I talked earlier about how I've seen you wear many different coaching hats, but oftentimes you are coaching with another individual. And I've seen you take pretty much every role 
in that in that relationship, just depending on what's needed. But it seems like you you tend to lean towards um, letting the other coach do the quote unquote actual coaching or instructing things like that, while your role tends to be leaning towards more like the relationship building and the communication aspect, like what you explained um, when you coached with with Brian. But do you feel like your education as a psychologist or your day-to-day job plays a role in how you view uh, relationship building from a coaching perspective? I mean, I, I think it's, I think that answer to that is obviously yes, but I, I actually would kind of, like, I think of some of my roles right now on the teams and while that role, while that was my role when I was co-coaching with, with um, Brian, you know, eight through 11 U, um, it's not exactly my role right now on my current team. I'm actually the the educator, I'm the one that teaches a bit more than, than my co-coach who actually takes a little bit more of the administrative and other and parent relationship stuff on because he's been with that team the whole time. And mm-hmm. I'm a relative newbie to the team. Um, as well as the current high school situation I'm with, I'm definitely more of the educator coach on field coach type of situation. So going back to your question of how, how does my you know training as a psychologist help? I think it's maybe by fitting in where we need and understanding who we are, what our strengths are, and how to best create a team environment with coaching. Because, you know, one, there's a lot of individuals that are great uh, sports minds. They, they have a really good notion and good IQ of the game. And if you watch them teach, they actually do a really good job of teaching. But that doesn't mean they're great at relationship building. And so, um, you know, someone like that might be best suited to be a really involved assistant coach. While they have a manager, so to speak, who works on the relationship building, because that's usually where those coaches go wrong. Like they, they like tore their, they spent so much time working with their teams to get them ready, and they are ready, and yet it blows up because they've never spent the time to foster the relationship with the parents uh, throughout throughout that off season. And so then there's a lot of animosity that builds up, and it just becomes kind of cancerous. And so you know, just as much as you need to pat a kid on the head uh, when they're doing a good job. We need to support our parents, too, and let them know that they're doing a good job and that we value them. And, and I know that seems a little bit counterintuitive, but we do have to acknowledge, like, in, in my situation, like, I've got a parent driving, and we're driving 45 minutes to practice. Um, there's others that are doing that. One's driving an hour. One's driving an hour and a half. And that's a big sacrifice. So right. acknowledging their sacrifice helps them feel like they're a part of it, too. So but back to the coaching thing, you know, like, I knew my best way to help Brian was going to be by help by working with the parents because I, I did not know how to teach baseball that well. I knew baseball, but I didn't know how to teach it well. And now that I've put the time in, I, I feel like I'm pretty good at doing what is needed. And so I try to work with my assistant coaches or co-coaches to, um, or in the case that I'm an assistant coach with the head coach, okay, what does the head coach want to do? And I'll pick up the slack in the other places. And um, I, I, So for all the coaches out there, I would just kind of challenge you to really be um, it's a word we use in psychology, introspective, right? Look at yourself and say, what am I good at? And what do I struggle at? And see if another member of your coaching staff can pick up the slack there and kind of work together as a, as a unit. Well, I think one thing that you've always been good at, and I would argue as your wife slash personal assistant, maybe too good at is delegating. Um, you like to find, you don't have a problem, um, doing everything yourself. If you can find willing people to help you in certain roles, um, you're usually very happy to do that. So do you have any advice about what people can do other than like your parent meeting and your letter about what people can do to maybe help um, parents get involved or to help build relationship with, with parents? So, I mean, you're basically 
entering into the subject that I think is probably one of the most important subjects for coaches to take into consideration these days, because this, any team issues that I've seen have come from a failure to do this effectively. And, you know, we, we like to think that I'm a coach. I just need to worry about the players. And, but unless you're coaching college athletes, those players are still children. And we need to take that into consideration um, as well as the time and efforts put in there. And so, you know, even something as simple as having that mid-season meeting uh, or another mid-season meeting with, without the purpose of it being called, just for informational purposes, goes a long way. Running into a parent, this has happened numerous times where I see the parent in the hallway of the hotel and I strike up a conversation with them. I don't go away. I, I talk to them about their son and I say, you know, I've, this season he's worked really hard at practice and he, he's made these steps. And they say, yeah, he, re- he worked really hard at home. And just letting them know that you value their child. So the first thing they think about is that, well, Coach Trevor wouldn't have done that. I know he loves my kid or he cares about my kid. Like having that be their first thought is so valuable. And, but if they don't think you care at all about their kid, which is ridiculous for most coaches to even think about, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't care about the kids, but parents, if they don't see it, they don't believe it because no one can care about their kids as much as they do. And I'm not saying they think I do, but if they know they, that I do care about their kids, I get a little bit of equity built into whatever decisions happen. And when there are issues, I go to them right away. And um, this isn't something that I've developed. I mean, I, I can really, you know, hand out to, you know, my other co-coaches and assistant coaches that have helped me with this. Um, by the way, a shout out to one assistant coach. If you can have an assistant coach out there that calls you out all the time and tells you to chill out, then uh, that's a big <laughs> deal um, because I needed that for about two or three years. So uh, shout out to Coach Sean on that one. He, um, <laughs> he, he was the first one to always come up to me and just tell me to chill out. Usually... Usually had some other words with it too, but, um, but <laughs> I'm sure, but I'm sure, but when it really comes down to it, like that stuff's, that stuff's important with the people that you surround yourself with. But, um, yeah, little nuggets to the parents, I think goes so, so far, um, letting them know what their kid is struggling with so they can help them at home, letting them know how their behavior is like, just, you know, letting them know at practice, you're not, those parents aren't there. Your kid is working really hard. Oh, so not only do I know my kid is working hard. I know that the coach noticed my kid is working hard. That's like a double bonus to them. And mm-hmm. I think that's the aspect of coaching that is just maybe underutilized. Um, you know, some people do, Hey, the team did really well today, but I think uh, that just is lip service to a lot of parents. Um, you know, that, that they, that's just common nomenclature that, that, that coaches use. And so they don't realize that it actually had meaning, right? Cause if I were to go on to Facebook, um, that's another having a Facebook group. Like there's, we probably should get into that too, but I go into our Facebook group and I'll make a statement. Like the parents will be like, yeah, it was a good game. It was a good game. But I put it out there because I had a very strong emotion and felt that they played amazing. Right. But that doesn't come across in text on a Facebook group. Right. Not as much as sitting in front of them. They can see and read your eyes and feel the, the genuineness that comes from you as a coach about how valuable their child was today, you know, to the team. So, right. So we've talked a ton about the parents, but what about the players? What are some things that, that you can do to help build stronger relationships with your players? And that is incredibly age dependent. Um, and I think anybody who's coached at multiple age levels will tell you that. So um, number one factor when you're, te- when you're coaching younger kids is patience and remembering that they are eight or they're nine or they're 10 and trying your best to be in to, to have conversations with them that they would want to have. 
you may know nothing about Fortnite, but you could ask them how their games went and then tell them that Fortnite doesn't make them a better baseball player, right? I mean, we can, you could still joke about it. You can do both things with that, right? How was school? Um, one factor that I think we do is we, and we actually haven't done it that much this year, and I might need to kind of get into it, is asking the parents to send over the grades, you know, pretty much across the board. These kids are getting good grades in school and being good athletes. And so coming up to them at a practice, say all A's, man, that is awesome. Just showing them that you care. And one thing that I'm not good at, I, you know, you go to the whole love languages thing. I'm not a big physical touch person. And I really realized with younger kids that just a hand on the shoulder, I understand physical touch can get very, very dicey. I was going to say, that's probably a good thing as a coach that you're not much into. Yeah. It is. It very much is. But knowing the right time to get that, give that hug because they're, they, they're hurt, they're sad, or they feel like they disappointed the team and let them know it's okay, especially with the young kids, or that hand on the shoulder to just let them know, hey, it's okay. The rest of the team's got you. And that goes so far in letting them know that maybe the coach is disappointed, but they've, they've not given up on you, right? And um, that I, I need to put in a disclaimer here. This is not permission to abusively touch kids. Uh, that's, not what Trevor, that's not what Trevor is saying. I'm not providing that at all. Um, but if you are more of a touchy-feely person, doing that appropriately, right, uh, as opposed to inappropriately and what that looks like per age groups. And, um, and as, as they get older, connecting with them in other ways. Um, you know, am I going to get and do a TikTok dance with my team? No, I'm not. Probably pretty much never, unless I lose a really bad bet that I would never make. But letting them do some of that stuff before and after practice and not giving them a hard time for it allows them to see that they're individuals, you know. And, um, you know, remember that time where there was a long uh, umpire delay and the kids are out there, you know, doing Fortnite dances on the mound? Like, mm-hmm. that's a video that we share all the time, right? Every year it comes up. It's, you know, hey, look at so and so flossing out there and let them be kids, right? Make, continue to let it be fun and learn from them what fun is at that age, right? Because like right now, the co- kids I'm coaching are, they want to work harder than I'm even thinking they want to. And they're asking for extra. And so I've got to up my game and up my energy level to meet them where they're at because they're finding that as fun. They want to be prepared. And that's really good to see. One thing that you do that I think really goes a long way towards the relationship building with your players is that you're constantly looking to see, oh, hey, like you you mentioned your team is from like a large area. But if one of your current or even former players has a wrestling meet and it's in our area, you're you're going to go, you're going to make the time and, and try to go watch it. Um, when they're in their little league all-stars playing against each other and you've got a couple kids playing, you're going to, you know, you're going to drive 45 minutes and you're going to go catch a game. But like, I feel like that probably goes a long way to show that like, oh, look, coach is here watching me. Like, he, you know, he has nothing to do with this game individually, but like he's invested in me as an athlete, as an individual, you know, and is just kind of here to, to support me. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it is something that I, that I try to do and but I try to do it because I want to do it. Um, and my, uh, you know, my co-coach and my assistant coach this year uh, or in for last year, they're they're actually better than me at that. Um, you know, they, they they do that to a higher degree than I even have. And to see the eyes of that kid when they see you there and that smile, like it's, it's very, very meaningful for them, you know, and that ends up being meaningful for you because, you know, then you realize that that relationship you have with that kid is, is it's tight, right? It's good. It's, you know, and, and the next time we have a practice, they're, they're going to work hard for you, um, but also trust that you're doing that for their best interest. 
and not because you're mad at them or mean it or, or trying to be mean. And then, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a good thing. It's a good thing. And, um, and I actually very much look forward to doing that for the next, you know, five, six, seven years. I mean, yeah, probably seven ish years, you know, with these kids and all the other kids I've coached up to that point. So, yeah, I think, I think that's great. So, before we end this episode, um, so Trevor and I, even though we're married and obviously live together, are recording this over a phone call because that's the only moments we have to speak during the spring. Um, he's heading to baseball practice. I have to head to go pick the kids up for practice in a few minutes. But before we go, um, we talked about communicating and part of this episode is how coaches can communicate better. So you've talked about the all the meetings and how meaningful that can be and phone calls or face-to-face conversations instead of um, texting in, in your parent letter. But let's talk just for just for a minute about, you, you mentioned the Facebook group. Like there's obviously a bunch of different ways coaches can communicate with parents. A lot of them use like group texts or apps or a Facebook group. Like, could you just talk about that for a minute and, and what like your preferences? Well, I've definitely been accused of having too many forms of communication and that people don't know where it is. I mean, right now our team primarily communicates through our travel team can primarily communicates through a Facebook group and through uh, team snap. Um, Cause we, we, we were on that uh, platform. Um, even though I think like game changer has the same functions now and might even be easier. I'm not sure, but that's what, that's how we communicate. We try to narrow it down. There used to be group me. There used to be remind. Um, sometimes those are the ones I'll use to set up for like a rec team. But I always want to have some sort of ability to communicate because um, texting doesn't work all the time. And the reason it doesn't work is because you can't text every parent. You're only texting one parent. And some families have two sets of parents and they all need to be on. And if I only have a 10 address limit or 10 number limit on my text, I'm not, I don't want to send two texts. I want to send one message out. And so we use that. But then we you know, allow like our parent, our group for our travel team is only parents. It's parents only. And so that way we can talk about the business side. Um, without too much distraction and then there's another page we have a group and a page right that's how you right. separate yes yeah so we've got the we've got the group that is for the parents and then we have the page that's for everybody out there that's public and we put our games on there and, and when people want to watch them and then um so i think that's that's a huge factor and then team snap is really good for those last minute decisions oh we're we're going to practice over here um we're all going to this restaurant afterwards game has just been delayed two hours you need people to know that right away because you get the alert with team snap Absolutely. And I think what, what all of these things do is they work to build a community. And, you know, we think a team is a team and we think it's a group, but very few people fail to think of it as a community. But when you get a group of individuals together, it's best to think of it in that way. And so, you know, some of the things that I sometimes see with teams is they have this, you know, it's coaches to parents, sorry, coaches to kids and then kids to parents. And there's this barrier and there's this boundary where for some reason we're trusting 15, 14, 12 year olds to be the accurate form of, in, of communication to their parents. And it's just not right. I mean, all we have to do is take a group of 12 year olds and play the telephone game. And you'll realize that the message is skewed in one message, not even two, one, you know, right. so, you know, that that's the type of stuff that we need to realize. So you have to go right to the source and communicate with the parents. And the best way to do that is through creating that feeling of community. Um, and that is by getting some parents involved in other things, whether it be a uh, being as a business manager or someone who's in charge of the uniforms or someone who's in charge of snacks and just getting more people to be involved and with all aspects of the decisions that may happen with the team. Because if we're all functioning as a community, 
a lot of those issues go away. Um, and, and they police themselves, actually, right, where parents are going to go tell, you know, John down the line, dude, chill out, go for a walk, go sit in center field and come back when you're ready to hang with the rest of the parents. You know what I mean? Right. And that I've seen that happen. It's um, I just think it's very, very if you can get that, it, it takes some time. Uh, we're sitting here talking to me like I'm some sort of like perfectionist and I got it figured out and I don't, I'm constantly learning. I, I'm always trying to make it better. I'm always assessing when I'm maybe failing a little bit or maybe not pulling up my end of the bargain. Like right now I can tell everybody on here, I haven't done as many videos to the kids this year as I have in previous years. And I kind of feel <laughs> bad about that. Um, you know, and just talking directly to them about a little learning lesson for the day, you know, the five minute lessons with Trevor or something, but you know, we can always just try to be better and learn every single year. And hopefully that becomes additive um, as we go on. So um, that'd be like my closing thought is build a community in some way, shape or form, build a community. And I don't think you'll regret it. Yeah. And, and just to kind of drive that point home from our previous episode, episode 77, Trevor, I know you've listened, but to the listener. Um, if you haven't listened to that, it's about uh, a couple of directors of athletics who had some really, really great information to share um, about creating a successful program. And one thing that they said that really stuck with me was when they talked about creating some sort of like parent or community committee where the athletic director can can basically reach out to them to, to get the temperature of, of what's going on. And he said that that will um, decrease so many parent concerns where otherwise those parents could like kind of cause a bit of a ruckus because they're upset about something. A lot of that just comes from feeling completely hopeless, like you have zero voice. That, and that was from an athletic director perspective. But even as a coach, if you can kind of create that community and have parents feel like they're part of this process and like they know what's going on and they feel like they could talk to you about something if they needed to, I do feel like that is going to kind of eliminate a lot of problems before they even occur. Yeah. Uh, all anybody really wants is to be heard. And sometimes if they don't feel like they're being heard, then they have to yell. And that's where we get a little bit out of line. That's where some of these things. And then and then coaches who are really trying their hardest, um, and maybe they're not perfect. Uh, no no coach is. I'm Okay, assuredly they're not perfect. But maybe they have do have a lot of things they can improve upon. They then get really defensive. And now we got yelling and defensiveness. And that's just, that's the perfect ingredients for um, a culture breakdown, right? Uh, for a community that falls apart or... Um, or something along those lines, right? I mean, like a community is a culture. And they talked about that, about building a culture in your school. And, you know, we're doing it at a team level, one team at a time. Um, but that sense of community, like if you look at winning programs in schools, they have a sense of community. There's pride. And you look at some that don't, and it's not there. It's not a coincidence, right? It's not a coincidence at all. Uh, but it, it doesn't come from excluding, all right? Culture comes from including. Um, in inclusion and having everybody be part of it. Uh, you know, most dictatorships have not worked. Um, I think it's pretty much all of them, but I'm just going to say most for right now. And uh, the same way, I mean, I've seen I've seen coaches who have kind of functioned like dictators and they get success on the field to a certain degree and then it falls apart. Um, and so, you know, and that that's because the community wasn't there to support it in that way. So um, that's just something, I, I, are those just my opinions? They are, they're, they're mostly my opinions, but they're things that I've been kind of working on in my, coach slash psychologist brain for the past seven years in terms of developing. And um, so far it's been going pretty well. So 
All right. Well, thank you so much for that. As we speak, I'm getting texted by our oldest child that track practice ended half an hour early. So that is literally all we have time for today. So thank you so much, Trevor. Appreciate it. No problem. And I got one last, my one last statement to everybody is, is like, I really want to come back and say like, I am not a perfection. I'm not a professional coach. I have, I don't think I've ever taken a dime to do it so far. I'm just trying to learn. And, you know, everything I've learned has been from parents because if I've taken constructive criticism from parents, it has been helpful. I can think of four or five instances right now that the parents helped teach me. Um, one of those just to be open and direct was like, why did we pitch off in that game? Why wouldn't we go try and win a game? And it was absolutely right in that situation. And, you know, cause we were trying to quote unquote safe pitching and it was the wrong decision at that time. And, uh, I've pretty much never done it since let's go win ball games and see what happens. And uh, I know that I've been more successful as a coach in doing that. And then I'm also a combination of all the coaches that I've had. I've learned what to do and what not to do from them and all the coaches I've worked with. So shout out to all those people that I have worked with. I mean, I've gotten a lot from you and I appreciate all the help that you've given me. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much. That's all we've got for the topic for today. Uh, Please join us in two weeks. That'll be on Friday, April 22nd, when Stephanie Stephanie and I will be joined by Jeff Petty, the CEO of Canes Baseball. That should be an awesome episode and you're not going to want to miss it. In the meantime, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Moms and Baseball. You can also listen to our episodes directly from our Moms in Baseball Facebook page now. If you subscribe on Facebook, Facebook will give you a notification whenever we release a new episode. And finally, if you haven't already, come join our Facebook group, Parents and Baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button and share with your friends. Until then, have fun at the fields, and we'll see you next week. Are you, are you moving right now? Well, I'm steering out of a parking lot, so. Oh, God. It literally sounds like you're, like, juggling machine guns or something.